This is Pod Populi, podcast for the people. Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. If you've been listening to my podcast, you may have noticed that I've had several members of my family as guests. Well, my husband came to me the other day and said, why haven't I been a guest on your show? And so I have the honor today of having my husband, John Adams, as my very special guest today. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is the founder and principal of his company called Adams Goot and Associates. This is a comprehensive financial planning and wealth management firm with the Northwestern Mutual. He has been in this industry for over 30 years, and he began his career with Northwestern as a college intern back in 1987, which is where we met. Today, his team has an internship program actually of its own. After graduating from the University of Akron with a bachelor's in science and business, he grew his practice from the ground up. From a comprehensive financial planning and fiduciary leaders in the community, John carefully cultivated between today's life and tomorrow's goals. Similarly, John believes in continuing education to keep his professional edge, and that makes him a very valuable resource. Complementing his continual quest for improvement is a dedication to honesty and integrity in all business dealings, John says. Him and his team have a comprehensive planning that isn't just about taking care of clients' money, it's also about getting to know the whole client, their family, and their dreams, and then turning those dreams into achievable goals. Well, I know I'm very proud of him and honored to have him with me today. So I'd like to introduce John Adams. Thank you for joining me on my podcast, Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. You read the introduction exactly like I wrote it. Such a nice job. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I thought today we could talk about teaching kids about financial literacy. A lot of times parents really shy away from that talk. I mean, let's, let's face it. People have a little bit, they get a little uncomfortable when it comes to talking about money. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to talking about their kid, with their kids. But I think that it's very important for a child's development to know about their family values in particular. So when you begin to work with clients, do you talk to them about how to talk to their kids about money? Well, of course. Um, one of the things that, that I ask people in the, the data gathering stage of a financial planning relationship is uh, what lessons they learn from their parents about money. And um, it's an interesting conversation. And then I'll ask the question around what lessons do they want their kids to learn about money from them. And uh, it's always an interesting conversation. 
And what I find is, is that you're able to have a conversation with your kids about money if you have a good relationship yourself with your money. Okay. And it sounds kind of weird to say a weird, a good relationship, but, you know, are you, if kids remember what you hear, what they, if, if kids remember what they, they see more than what they hear, um, if you're exhibiting good behaviors yourself and you feel good about your level of financial management, both in enjoying today, but also preparing for tomorrow, you probably have an easier time having a conversation with your kids about money versus if you don't have a good relationship with money yourself. I remember you saying so many times as we raised Gabe and Ben together, plant corn, get corn. (laughs) All right. You said that many, many times. And it's true in, of course, all areas uh, of the household, but particularly also around money. Um, if you are really exhibiting good behaviors around your finances and feel good about your position in life, but your p- position for the future, um, you probably have an easier time talking to your kids about money than if you don't. I like the fact that you start by saying, what is their history around money when they were growing up? Because To really know where we're going, we have to know where people have been. Would Mm -hmm. you agree? Mm -hmm. So where do you go from there? So um, it's interesting. Um, We talk to to, clients about maybe creating healthy habits with their kids around money, even around allowances. Uh, I've read in some articles, uh, economists will suggest even as early as the age of four years old, to instill an allowance in the kids of maybe half their age. So four years old, you get $2. And that's maybe for helping clear the table or taking dishes out of the dishwasher or putting them in the dishwasher, just household chores that that they associate work with an allowance. And then once they have that stream of money, then some guidance around what to do with that money. You know, with our kids, and I've given this out to clients hundreds and hundreds of times, I think you can get it online now, Amazon, called Penny the Pig. And Penny the Pig really at a young age, quite frankly at any age, but at a very young age, is a fun way to establish really good money habits. And so, you know, we talk about 50, 20, 20, 10. And there's four slots in Penny the Pig. Saving, spending, donating and investing. And so we'll talk about 50% of money coming in, going to saving, um, 20% going towards spending, 20% going towards investing, and then the other 10 going towards donating. So at a young age, you're just instilling these habits of saving, spending, investing, and donating that then as the income grows, either with them getting older and so if you follow the rule of half their age, uh, as they're making more, then, then there's those percentages just adjust as they make more. One of the interesting lessons I had with our oldest, Gabe, was when he got his first real paying job at a movie theater at 16 years of age. Uh, he got a, his first car, and he was responsible for insurance and gas on the car. And so he, he knew, if I want this car, I have to work. There's, there's responsibility with it. And so when he got his first paycheck, uh, it was his first W-2. 
And so when he go, went to save 20%, um, he came up with a number that was of the net. And I said, no, no, wrong number. It's, it's the gross. And uh, he didn't really like that at the time. Uh, gave me a little pushback on that. But I said, gosh, if you can establish this behavior at 20% of gross on a movie theater part-time job, it's just going to serve you very, very well for the rest of your life. And he's listened and he's followed that. And you know, here he is at his 30s in a, in a really good spot and putting his family on a very good track, financially speaking, because of just a, a behavior he learned at a very young age. I find that very interesting because it goes along with what I was able to study to prepare for this podcast to talk to you. Although I do listen to the things that that you say, not only to the kids, but to myself. But what I read in the literature is that by learning financial risks, children will be better prepared to avoid financial debt and bankruptcy in the future. And I remember reading that and thinking, that sounds like so profound to explain to a child. But I think if you start with the basics when they're young, and then as they get older, and they're able to actually have better math skills, for example, they start to appreciate when they're given something, or even when something unexpected happens. Because I would imagine too, when you work with families, like you said, we talk about the now, but also the future. Mm-hmm. I think if kids kind of have an idea of the work that goes into, you know, making the money and then saving it, and then if something un- unexpected happens within the family, there's a little more understanding, too, about the adjustments that need to be made. Sure. You, you said something around uh, the math, and, you know, it, it starts there, all right, so... They need to understand that. So I remember with Gabe, I would come home and have the change um, in my pocket from the end of the day. And shortly after coming home and emptying my pockets, that change would disappear into a jar. And this jar would get full. And then we would empty the jar on the floor or the kitchen table. And we would count money and we'd roll it into things you could probably get at a dime store now for you know, dollars, nickels, quarters. And and, um, and it was a habit that Gabe and I did regularly throughout the week. And he just learned math, you know, and association of coin size. And, and he just understood basically the math. And, and that carried from not only the coins, if we add this together, if we add that together, what does it get? But then he and I would be going down the road, we'd see the speed limits, 35. Like, hey, Gabe, what's three plus five? What's five plus three? All right. So anytime we saw numbers, we just had a chance to practice math in a very fun way. And it's interesting because here he's 31 and graduated with a degree in economics and accounting and is a very successful entrepreneur at a young age. So, you know, he gets the math of, uh, of business, which is, again, I think a habit that we instilled in him at a very young age to understand math. I'd like to share a funny story in regards to this. And I remember one time coming home from work and, you know, we were going to have some playtime. And I said, Gabe, what would you like to do? And he said, let's count my money. (laughs) And I still remember that. And I'd also like to tell you that I secretly collect your change now. (laughs) So (laughs) That's where it goes. It all adds up, right? That's where it goes. That's right. Okay. So, but, but, you know, once you understand uh, the math, 
then when money does come in, either by allowances or gifts, First Communion, um, birthday, then again, the percentages can apply with that money that comes in and how it gets divvied up. Another neat way could be that maybe they look at a gift as something they can just turn around and spend. And you really want to reinforce saving first to then put spending in perspective. And so if you understand that everything comes in, a portion of it needs to go into saving, and then a portion of it can go to spending, well, now you get an opportunity to teach delayed gratification because if I can just get a gift of $50, $20, whatever it is, and I do the 50, 20, 20, 10, well, then you could just give somebody that that 20% for spending right away. But maybe you create a bank of mom or a bank of dad Mm -hmm. in a different way than how it's maybe viewed commonly where, okay, if if I'm holding onto this money, instead of you just spending it, I'm going to give you 10% interest on that money. Hmm. All right. And so they learn, hmm, by me delaying gratification and actually letting the bank of mom or bank of dad hold on to this, that money's growing. And you can, there's all kinds of software, um, fun tools with kids that, that can really, they can understand my money's growing or if they want to do a withdrawal, they're going to go buy something. Um, and that's another way to teach budgeting is don't just buy them anything they want. All right. You really want to get into, well, first of all, practice saying no to yourself, because if you don't say no to yourself, it's really hard to say no to your kids. Uh, so delayed gratification there too. But just instead of just buying the kids whatever they want, give them a budget of what they can spend and say no that, hey, you know, that's outside of your budget. So maybe you have to save some before you can come back and buy it. Teach those skills at a really young age because otherwise you can really get into a bad situation with debt. And that is just a huge hindrance to building wealth for anybody. All right. And so teaching them a healthy relationship around what is debt, um, you know, yes, it's using somebody else's money, but there's a cost to using somebody else's money and how really you want to pay that back as soon as possible. And, you know, that kind of gets us into the whole credit card situation of, you know, instead of a credit card just being another way for paying something that you want because you don't have the money to buy it, so I'm just going to put it on a credit card. No, 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 no. You really have to have a conversation with the kids around, what is an emergency? It isn't that your friends are going out and you don't have any money, so it's an emergency. I'm going to use my credit <laughs> card. But maybe it's a real, hey, I, I, my car broke down. Or, you know, just what is a real emergency? So it's an opportunity to teach about the proper use of a credit card, but also the importance of paying off a credit card. And you bring up a good point. As you were talking, I was thinking to myself, it's a lot different than for parents today than it really was for us. Yeah. We didn't have Amazon to just click and two days later, what we wanted is delivered at the door. Right. So I think that it's important for children to understand those interactions, like you said, what the credit card is and what it means and that it does have to be paid. What, you know, it is like to buy things online again and then you know, how that isn't just, you know, some secret fairy, for example, that's all of a sudden bringing these items to our house, but that actually it's something that you purchase much like a store. 
and even maybe taking them for a little field trip to the bank or the ATM so that they understand. Well, the grocery store is a really good example. And maybe you set up a a hypothetical grocery store in your own home and with uh, some, some hypothetical money that you've given them, you know, you, you have them buy things. All right. Or maybe you actually go to the grocery store and get out the receipt and, um, you know, have them pick some things and have you have them give you some of their money. Of course, you'll give it back to them. But have them, so so have them buy it. Have them feel what that's like. All right. And, and look at the receipt and, oh, OK, this was that much. I need that much from you for this. So it's just it teaches them that um, it really goes back down to, you know, I mean, the the impulse to spend is huge in anybody, myself included. All right. And to the extent that you can put some things on autopilot instead of choosing to save or invest or spend each month, the more likely you're going to be successful. And so things like automatic withdrawal out of your paycheck or automatic withdrawal out of your savings or checking account is just a a crucial behavior. You think of automatic things like your mortgage, automatic things like um, your retirement plan at work. I could go on and on, but... um, to the extent that, that maybe the kids can get in the habit of an automatic habit of saving um, before an automatic habit of just spending because they, they want something without understanding, well, do I have the savings to back that up or can I afford it? I think that's such a good point to make that we need to help kids learn about smart spending decisions, even when they're young. And while you were describing the grocery store, it made me think about the little grocery carts that we used to have even, or the kids had even as kids or my nieces and nephews and play money. I mean, that's also a way to explain how things work. I have a client who, um, uh, really good guy, and he uh, grew up in the Midwest, and he would rake leaves as we're sitting here in the fall. He would shovel snow. He would have all these jobs, and as a result, he had all this money. And he did such a good job that more and more neighbors, and so he would hire his friends to go do these jobs. So he just became like the organizer of all this labor. Um, and uh, it was great for him. As a, a grown-up Midwest, blue-collar, he worked and he had money. Well, then he, he goes and starts a business and becomes fabulously successful, sells it for a very significant amount of money, and he tells me that he's, he really feels like he's ruined his kids. So well, what do you mean? And he says, well, you know, you look at what I did growing up. He goes, you know, my kids, we, they, they sit courtside for, for basketball games. Uh, we get in our company, my private plane to fly on vacations, and you know, they just don't know any different. And... It's just interesting hearing this very successful self-made man, as I talked to him about his relationship with money and his kids, he wishes he did a better job teaching his kids you know, the connection of, of how to manage money. But it's not too late, would not you at agree? All. Not at all. It's funny because I think that learning how to, there's there's so many things to, pieces to this puzzle, and, and I'm using that, phrase because that is something that you do in your business. Your logo actually has a puzzle piece because even when it comes to kids and money or the family, there are several little pieces. So teaching kids not only how to, whether it's an allowance or a small job, or I remember one time there were 
several garage sales in our neighborhood. <laughs> and all of a sudden I look out and Gabriel is setting up a stand. Lemonade stand. And he did it all on his own. And he also took some of, you know, the stuff out of our fridge to sell too, like <laughs> waters, etc. And he's a niche producer today. I'm it's right. That. That's yeah. right. And it was it was really cool because I remember him telling me too that some people paid him more than he was actually asking for. And sometimes having that surplus and really learning, like you said, on how to deal with it, because there's no guarantees in life. And that example of your friend and client reminds us that you and I both know families, other stories, which we don't have to mention, where there were some unexpected changes. And I think it is important to prepare our children for that. I would just go back to um, the importance of teaching them to save first and opening up a banking uh, account for them at a certain age and both a checking and a savings account. Have them associate that maybe one is for shorter term purchases and saving might be for something that they really want that's more expensive. So they have to accumulate money. So understand the difference between a checking and a savings account and then, you know, really maybe starting them, not so much when they're in their teens or later teens, a, a credit card, but a debit card. So I was just saving the importance when, around credit. Um, again, the discipline around saving money first um, and going back to that 50, 20, 20, 10 guideline as a good guide, opening up a bank account, checking and savings, have them differentiate between shorter term purchases and, and, hey, something that's maybe bigger and more expensive that they need to save up for. Um, when the bank will let them, you know, getting them a debit card attached with that account. So they understand, okay, it's not an unlimited thing. I only have a certain amount of money I can spend and use that debit card for. And then it's important to start building credit with your kids. And so maybe, you know, as they're going off to college, you open up a credit card for them or make them an authorized user on your card. Um, but just make sure you manage that because, uh, you, know, you want to make sure that, that that's a responsible use of credit. And um, if not, it can affect both their credit rating and yours. Yes, and that can be very serious in the long run. So you don't want that to happen. You know, I would say kids in general, they're eager to have their parents share their wisdom. And another study I read said that half the children surveyed said that they wish their Parents taught them more about money. You know, you explained about the client that wish he had. Mm -hmm. There are adults now that wish they had learned more while they were growing up. And you also mentioned about modeling. Mm -hmm. I bring that up a lot, whether it's with nutrition, exercise, politeness, etc. So, where do parents start? Let's say you met with somebody and it says they, they need to walk the talk. Well, I always talk about, you know, the guideline of that 50, 20, 20, 10 in their own lives. Okay. Um, and certainly mortgages and car choices and clothing choices, vacation choices. So, you know, your, your, your cost of being you really shouldn't be more than 50% of that, that pay. So, and your mortgage is maybe half of that. Now, in this interest rate environment, interest rates, I think, today on a mortgage went over 7% for the first time in a long time. That's going to get a lot harder to do. Yeah. All right. 
But the idea is that that would be 50%, which if you can keep that in check, um, so you don't just buy the biggest house or the nicest house you want. It's like, well, what's the real house I can afford to make it fit this 50, 20, 20, 10 guideline? Then if you have that managed, it establishes you in a good position to do the 20% towards saving, 20% towards investing, and 10% donating or tithing. Will you review again for those that are listening because they might have blacked out blocked out for just a minute. Explain the 50 20 2010. So the 50 is is really what's it cost to be you every month? Okay. Right? Your your groceries, your utilities, your car payment, student loan payments, mortgage payment, rent, whatever. All right. But what what's it cost you to be you? And again, housing is roughly about uh, half of that. Okay. 25, maybe up to 30% of that 50 possibly depends. Uh, but then once you've done that, then that establishes you to be able to do the 20% towards saving, 20% towards investing, 10% towards donating or, or tithing. Um, if you bought too much of a house, then you know it's only 100%. And so if that ends up taking 70% of your, of your number, well, you just squeezed out the other parts. There's just less to go around, maybe none towards saving and investing. Um, and that doesn't give you a good relationship with money. And you're probably not really going to want to talk about that with your kids or feel good about talking about it with your kids. All right. I will say this. In 34 years of talking to people about money, uh, many degrees in this, um, many, many books and conferences and working with some very, very successful clients. Um, I've really made this one observation, and one observation, if you remember one thing, is that it's your relationship to compound interest. One group it works against, and one group it works for. So, you know, obviously the group it works against is the one that are, is in a significant amount of debt. Too much car, too much house, those types of things. Uh, the other group that really builds wealth are the group that compound interest works for. And so they've got these percentages in check. And so they're able to invest and build wealth. And compound interest starts to work in their favor versus against them. And so that's why I think it's really important. Yes, we've talked about the importance of saving. Crucially important, but not very exciting. All right. But it establishes the other behaviors once you've got the saving behavior and the spending behavior um, in check, it's really a great time to talk about the investing behavior. And that's the fun. All right. But I can't really talk about that and, and be in a good spot to do that unless I've got the others in line. All right. I'm not going to talk about investing if my spending and my, my saving is, is out, of, out of whack. So this is where it gets really fun at a young age to start talking to kids about how money makes money. All right. And so certainly with our kids, you know, we aligned uh, that conversation around what their interests were. Um, Toys R Us was a store they used to like. Um, 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 they liked going to like Dave McDonald's, and Buster's. McDonald's. Okay. <laughs> Disney. All right. And so, you know, maybe you buy a stock in that company and you get the annual report and you read it together. Okay. And you really understand, okay, how does a corporation work? Well, you know, they, they sell things, they bring in revenue, 
They, they pay their expenses and the profits go back to the shareholders. So you want to make sure you pick good companies. And there's a whole fun game we can do around that But uh, as a kid. But my point to you is, is that get them to understand how money makes money. And, um, you know, we, in our case, we bought company stock. We bought mutual funds. We'd read the annual reports. We'd track it. And they would understand how it goes up and how it goes down. And so at a young age, you know, our kids understood how money makes money. And that's so important because I see sometimes teenagers who have resentment and say, well, we can't do this or we can't do that. And I even saw a patient, a younger child, I think eight or nine years old, who was concerned about how much a test was going to cost. And the reason why I bring that up is that, you know, although it was difficult for the parents to talk to their child about some of the things that aren't so good about money, or maybe they didn't manage it, or maybe they had a situation where um, that was out of their control. But he even understood that coming to the doctor costs money. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, I reassured him and we talked about things. And although sometimes I feel some people, again, like I mentioned in the beginning, get uncomfortable about that, I think it it's still very important. Now, you mentioned also about charitable giving. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that and kids, because I do think it's important for children to learn at a young age how how giving is also giving back can be something very, very strong in their values as a family. And I've read a lot about this because if, if you're just giving them an allowance and you're saying, okay, you're going to give 10% of it, all right? Well, it doesn't feel very fun to them. It, it can be effective, but maybe not as fun as, okay, have them pick where that money's going to go to, all right? And so maybe, uh, you know, our kids have always had a soft spot for dogs, all right? Yes. So, you know, the APL might be a good place that they're going to donate money or church. I mean, in my case, growing up, six kids and mom and dad, and I just remember at communion time, mom would reach into her purse and she'd pull out a couple dollar bills and she would give them to one of the kids and the offering plate would come around and we'd stick that in there. All right. Guess what we did with church with our kids growing up? I took a few dollars out of my pocket (laughs) in addition to our automatic giving that we gave. But just to kind of give the kids an idea that, you know, you, you got, it's not our money in the first place, which is a whole other conversation, okay? Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so getting kids involved in picking where the money goes. I have a client who gives their kids a certain amount of money every year, uh, $3,500 around the holidays, and, and they're challenged with giving the money away, hmm. okay? And then, um, not Christmas dinner, but over the holidays, they get to sit around and talk about what they did with their gift, who they gave it to, why they picked that cause. And so it's just at a young age instilling charitable interest in their kids and just the feel good of kind of how they picked, who they picked and why they picked them. You quoted once when a child is invited to give, whether than required to give, it can be way more fulfilling and a meaningful experience for them. Yeah, yeah that's what I was saying. That's what I was saying. You know, the, the really comes back to um, not only you modeling behavior yourself, we talked about plant corn, get corn, but, you know, there's all kinds of neat things out there to, to 
kind of get this rolling with kids as well um, in some technology out there. There's um, in Nintendo Switch, there's a social simulation game called Animal Crossing, hmm. um, which is uh, a neat game that for a family to be able to play. And it teaches a relationship around, around money. Um, we already talked about money-based pretend play, maybe setting up a grocery store in the kitchen online there's pretend and play cash registers um we already talked about the the bank of dad but gosh darn our oldest um maybe it's because he counted all the coins but uh to this day he's got a collection of monopoly boards all right the largest collection of monopoly boards i've ever seen anybody have and here if you ask him what game he wants to play he wants to play monopoly and um you know we would make sure and i would suggest people let their kids take turn being the banker to understand the mathematics of it, not only paying rent, but collecting on properties and things like that. Um, or the game of life is another one. All right. Now what's interesting, and you didn't particularly appreciate this growing up, <laughs> but I never let the kids um, just win. This is true. This is true. Even when, <laughs> even when they were like three or four and they come to me crying, you know, and I'd be like, let the child win for goodness sake. No, no, no. Um, and so, so I, I really, um, it's tasting the, the, the win, but it's tasting the, the bitter taste of, of not winning too is, is part of life. And so, um, so I made kids beat me in games. All right. And right now Gabe will just wipe, me off the board oh, on Monopoly. I'm pretty sure he could beat you at games like starting at the age five or six. Yeah, so yeah, it didn't yeah. it didn't take long. He's it also one of the long. most competitive people you ever meet, too. So not a yeah, bad thing. Some, something like his dad, maybe just yeah. a little. Yeah. But you know, I, I also want to bring up Ben, which you are presently helping Ben now that he has finished school. Mm-hmm. With learning to invest. Well, he's been doing this for a long time. But what's really interesting is, um, so Ben, um, really, uh, now that he's postgraduate work and um, he's he's doing his residency with the NFL and earning a, a good basic wage, hourly wage, not a lot at all. But uh, still, what's fascinating is that in my business, Every morning I get an email of all the client deposits they did overnight. And it's interesting to look at those deposits, you know, 50,000, 80,000, 40,000, 200,000, just numbers are all across the board. The list just keeps going on and on. And the email will always say your client, in this case, your client, Benjamin Adams, deposited $300. All right. And it's my favorite email to see. And I always do a screenshot and send it to him and text him that even at this base, base, base income, he still is exercising that muscle that we've talked about of 50, 20, 20, 10. And, um, you know, it's like I said with Gabe, when he worked at the movie theater at 16, if you can just get these habits in place at a young age, it's just going to help you as you go forward. I really, really think, um, you know, you start talking about kids, um, the environment that kids grow up in is so critical, obviously. And when you think about what mom and dad argue about, oftentimes it's about the kids or it's about money. Yeah, I agree. I would okay. agree. And so to the extent that, that mom and dad can get on the same page and have a good relationship with money, I just think it gives the kids a smoother ride growing up. 
than if they don't have a good relationship with money. And if they can take that then themselves into their relationships with their spouse and their children, you know, aren't you giving that relationship a better chance of success? Because money just isn't something that they fight about. They just understand their relationship with it. But that's, that's a bigger picture. Well, I think that's a very important point to raise. And that is because it is a conversation that I believe partners are not having with each other because children are listening all the time. They may not act like they hear you, but they are listening and they will model. And it's so important for you to have that conversation with your children about money, to teach them that financial literacy, because face it, they're going to have to learn it one way or another. And it should be, number one, coming from, you know, as parents, but also learning to, again, walk that walk so that they understand those highs, those lows, and also benefit from the hard work in the future that, that they're going to be experiencing. And we've talked about responsible spending and it starts with saving. We talked about debt. We talked about charitable giving. You know, let's just keep it real and talk about financial hardships that mom and dad might have. You know, maybe there's a job change or something. All right. And so keeping it real with the kids and maybe they don't need to know all the details. All right. But just, Hey, you know, maybe we're not spending on extras because you know we're looking for a, a better opportunity for mom or better opportunity for dad. And instead of the job he used to have, we're looking for a better opportunity for him. So we're not really going to be spending on extras right now. And, and, you know, kids can sense that, I think. All mm-hmm. right. And so just being honest with them, because let's just be real. The kids are going to have financial hardships in their adult life and just realizing, okay, you know, gosh, maybe my parents didn't have financial. Oh, no, we all do. Mm-hmm. All right. And so just, just being fully honest with them, maybe not all the details that it instills worry and they lose sleep, but just I being agree. honest with them about it. I, I agree. And what's interesting, I know when you were talking even about kids and we were using uh, Ben as an example, you don't have to make a lot of money to start investing. And because I'm sure you hear this all the time. Well, I'll start saving or investing when I make more. But it's like that in anything in life. There's never a perfect day to start saving money. Okay. There just is never a perfect day. There's always something or tomorrow's always a day away. All right. And that really gets me back into, I already talked about games, but how about books? All right. I mean, I, I remember, gosh, I don't know, middle school, junior high, reading The Richest Man in Babylon. Hmm. You know, again, blue collar dad didn't really have a lot to save and invest and plan with. But somewhere in my mind in junior high, I read The Richest Man in Babylon, um, which then got me to reading The Millionaire Next Door. And there's a couple books that have come out that I recommend to clients for kids under 12, everything kids money book, everything kids money book, just Google that title. And I think for 12 and up a great book, uh, rich dad, poor dad, just a great, great book. Um, again, under 12 or over 12, just to get kids thinking, uh, and help them build healthy relationships around money and not just spending. And it sounds like they, this would be something that would be beneficial 
for the parents too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's really, you know, that goes back to the richest man in Babylon or a millionaire next door. It's not what you make. It's just not what you make. It's what you keep that counts. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I just have, fortunately, because of my work, I've, I've worked with several people who make you know, millions of dollars a year and some you'd never know because of their lifestyle. They just are really good with it. Others who are check to check. All right. Um, great people, very fun to be around, but there's just got to be an undercurrent of stress there that despite a very significant income, um, it, it's kind of all a house of cards. And that's just got to wear off on all the people around them, including their family, that you know, there's not a good relationship around money there. I keep bringing that theme up over and over again. I can remember one of the things that I learned from you over these years is that as your family grows, as your wealth grows, learning to spend like you don't have it, mm-hmm. for example, and maybe I'm not even saying that right, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but you know, we see these athletes, for example, or other professionals where all of a sudden now they have come into a large amount of money and they just want to spend it versus, look, let's take a step back and let's spend and live almost like we don't have it. Yeah. And then you're, you're more likely to be able to maintain that wealth versus blowing it all. Sure. I, I think you, know, you have to have a conversation around um, I can versus should. Okay. You know, I remember when, um, when we first started looking for a house, um, you know, the bank pre-approved us and the realtors showing us these houses and you know professional athletes would have been our next door neighbors if we bought these houses. So, you know, according to the bank, we, we could have bought that house. All right. And man, you walk into this house, you're picturing where the Christmas tree is going to be, Thanksgiving dinner, that table is just going to be beautiful. All the emotions kick in if you're not careful. It's a very emotional event. Um, in fact, when I'm reading a lot why people, smart people make big money mistakes, it's too much house, too much car. But in any event, um, I remember pulling the realtor aside after showing us a few of these homes in this price range and say, I know what we can buy, but here's what we are going to buy. It's what we should do. Yep. And if you keep showing us houses outside of this range, I'm changing realtors. Mm. All right. And so I had to model that behavior. Myself. If I'm going to talk to clients about what they should do with their money, you know, here's what I'm doing versus what here's what you should do. All right. And so I talk about our situation. Here's what we do, all right? Mm-hmm. And um, well, why didn't you do that? So I've, I've lived those emotions. I've seen those emotions. Um, you know, you and I have gone to social gatherings and you see these homes and you're like, gosh, why don't we live like this? I'm like, well. <laughs> I don't say it like not, that. <laughs> well, but, but I'll be like, well, you know, um, while we have a plan, all right, and educating our children, our children growing up and graduating without any student loan debt was incredibly important to us, all right? Our ability to be on track, to be financially free of the need to work at a young age is very important to us. Mm-hmm. I call that financial freedom versus retirement. Um, and and so, um, you know, it's all things in moderation according to our plan versus just living for today and let work tomorrow take care of itself. That's just not our deal. And that's what we need families to understand what are their values? What are their, like you said in your bio, what are their goals? Really getting to know those things and then sharing that and having some of those 
fun conversations about money, but also uncomfortable conversations about money because you said a key word and that is emotions. And we know that, you know, when it comes to money, there's a lot of emotions around that. You did mention college and I'd love to invite you back for a separate podcast to talk about college specifically. But before we go, is there anything else you feel parents today, caregivers need to know anything else? Cause you, you thank you for all of the pearls of wisdom that you've already shared, but any last words to parents out there about teaching their kids about financial literacy? I just would, I, it's nothing new that, that we haven't said before, but just, um, you know, model the behaviors that you'd really like your children to have so that, um, they don't get into a bad spot with debt um, or living beyond their means that creates a stress that might affect their quality of life or the quality of relationships with their spouse or their children. And so, you know, it just goes back to modeling that behavior. And do you feel good about your relationship with money yourself? All right. Um, but that's, that's, I don't know, it's kind of a weak way to end up, but that, that really kind of comes back down to that main thing. Yeah, don't be afraid to teach your children the basics. It can be fun. There's no reason. I love the ideas that you shared about ways that you can teach your children about money, even at a young age and as they grow in really fun ways. And I just want to thank you so much for joining us. And I, how do people get in touch with you if maybe they'd like to talk to you about this a little bit further? Well, I will say, you know, one of the things that we've really built as a theme around our firm, you could say it's our mission, if you will, it's, it's helping align the right strategies, tactics, and tools today to give people uh, the clarity and confidence for a good financial future instead of just hoping it all works out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's often that, that, I think I've, I've seen people who just have a lot, maybe they, hopefully they make a lot. Um, and you can just instill a calm, a feeling of, oh, I'm not sure how it's going to work out, but I have a lot. I make a lot. Somehow it's all going to work out. And I hope it does. But really what we have done is built a planning process that, that while hope is important, I th- just think you, you live life more fully when you have clarity and peace of mind of exactly how things are going to work out. And so, um, that's, that's what we do, and we really like doing it. So if they want to get in contact with us, um, our office number, 330-668-6135. Our email, john, J-O-H-N dot Adams, A-D-A-M-S, at nmnancymary.com. So nm.com. Thank you, John. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to follow me wherever you like to enjoy your shows. And... Let's grow up together.